Hey, thanks for listening to the Berwyn AG Podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world. We hope this podcast helps you grow closer to the Lord. For more information, you can visit our website, berwynag.org, or you can find us on all social media platforms at Berwyn AG. If you're blessed by what you hear today, be sure to share and subscribe. Thanks, and as always, God bless. assessing ourselves, we're looking down at our life and kind of doing that. Everybody seems to be doing it, you know. You're asking yourself the kinds of questions. What am I doing with my life? Uh, why am I not further along in my career than I am right now? Uh, how come that five pounds that I lost last January came back? Uh, uh, am I becoming a better person? How can I invest in my marriage to make my marriage better this year? Why am I always angry? What happened to my joy? It's interesting that we, we choose to lose five pounds over dealing with all those other questions that are so much deeper than the five pounds. Huh? In other words, we're feeling that there's something missing on the inside of us. When we do a little self-reflection, we often come up with a sense that we are missing a bit. Christians, I mean, and by that I mean men and women of God who, who are practicing the words of Jesus, and at least trying to, and people who pray and people who attend church weekly services, they are found in survey after survey to have higher life satisfaction than those who doubt, than those who are atheists, than those who are Christians but are uncommitted to follow. To some extent, even the Christian recognizes there's something missing. At the beginning of the year, we use this time as a self-assessment time to look at our own life and say, what is missing in my life? We still hunger for forward progress, to be moving forward in the things of God. We still hunger for things to be, be found in our life where God's grace can be magnified in our life and our life can bring light into the world where we go, when we look at ourselves and when we really stare ourselves down in the mirror, we realize that the answer is not there in the mirror. It comes from the Lord above. And so we, we find ourselves. Our text this morning is found in Mark chapter 1. It is the theme text for our year here. It is found in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. If you're there, say you're there. Mark 1.35 Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The disciples found themselves with the Jesus void. They woke up one morning and Jesus wasn't there. Well, that's terrifying, isn't it? Just the 
the spiritual application to wake up one day and, and to think that you were in such relationship to Jesus. They had grown accustomed to the presence of Jesus in their life. They had, even though it's at the very beginning of the gospel, they, they'd grown accustomed already to this, this presence of Christ in their life, and suddenly he's not there. Now, it turns out Jesus had just gone to pray. The scripture says, actually Greek says, it was very dark. And it was a desolate place, abandoned, solitary place that Jesus went to. So Jesus gets up in the morning, sneaks off before, before the coffee is made, before the bagels are hot, before anything. Jesus sneaks off to a desolate place. And uh, in their core, they're, uh, they're by themselves. They, they find themselves alone. Being alone in a desolate, isolated place is not an easy thing. Being alone in an isolated place is a little bit off. Most of us don't like to be alone. Most of us, even when we are alone, we turn on a radio, or we turn on the TV, or we turn on the radio and the TV, just to keep ourselves from recognizing that we are alone. I remember one time my brother and I were camping up in Canada. It was just he and I that year, and we were up had built a fire. We were at the bottom of a waterfall. It was a pristine, beautiful place. You could drink the water right out of the, right out of the, uh, the lake. And uh, it was a foggy day, foggy morning. Maybe, uh, maybe it was about 8 o'clock in the morning. The fog was setting in. At the bottom of the falls, it seemed to be a little thicker than it was the rest of the place on the, earth, on the, on the lake. And we had built a fire, and the coffee was hot, and we were just sitting there having a cup of coffee. And we see a, one man in a single solo canoe, paddling down, down the, the lake, and he's coming right at us. And, uh, you know, we stood up at the, at the shore to greet him, and as he was coming towards us, we were both drinking a cup of coffee, and we invited him up to have a cup of coffee with us. He came up and had a cup of coffee, got back in his canoe, we talked to him a little bit. We asked him how long he had been by himself in the wilderness paddling, he said, for 14 days. And my, I was trying to wrap my mind around 14 days with no one to talk to. 14 days doing your own dishes and no one picking slack. You had to depend on your own self. 14 days all by yourself. And he got in the canoe and he paddled off into the distance. My brother looked at me and said, serial killer. <laughs> There's something not right. Come on, you've got to be thinking that a little bit, right? There's something right about a guy who's 14 days in the wilderness, in the wilderness. He is not able to talk to anyone, and he's totally comfortable with that. Anyway, we don't like to be alone, and being alone is an uncomfortable thing, so that even, even when we're willing to give you the benefit of the doubt and a cup of coffee, being alone is, is difficult. Sometimes it's just being alone with yourself that's the bother. You recognize this void that the, that the disciples felt. They felt a void in their heart as soon as Jesus was gone. We have so many things, electronic things, you know, these kinds of things that we fill all that void. So uh, you can be looking, you can be reading your Bible on your phone and then something pops up and you interrupt your time with God. Come on, you know you do this. And you go follow that thing. And that thing leads you to something else. And then you're on Facebook suddenly 
and now all your friends have something to say about the latest political thing, and you feel like you have to have a rant. So you run, and the next thing you know, your devotions have become now Facebook. And you still end up with this void on the inside of your heart. We recognize the void because it's quiet when we're quiet, when we're all by ourselves. If you don't believe me that it's hard for you to be alone with you, then I invite you this Thursday, when we're fasting and praying, that you just turn everything off. The TV, the iPad, the iPhone, the radio, everything. Turn it all electronics off. All the noise off in your life. Now for some of you this would be too much, so maybe you just do it during the time when you're praying. Don't, don't let it ring. Don't pay any attention to it. Lose the business deal. Just be alone with yourself and hear what God is saying. One time, uh, years ago, when I was in Bible college, just my final year of Bible college, my wife gave me permission to go off and take a vow of silence at a local monast Trappist monastery down in uh, the Ozarks. And so I did. I went down there for a little time. And during that time, they, we took a vow. We got there on a Friday night. We uh, ate with a couple of the monks and had dinner and talked a little bit. And we said, okay, starting at midnight tonight, we will not speak again until 5 o'clock tomorrow when we will break bread. Really not even a whole day, just three quarters of a day. Some of that, I confess, I was sleeping. But in that period of time, there were no electronics, nothing to, to talk. We were in the middle of the, of the mountain down there, and there was no one to talk to. And I found myself in a place by myself, isolated. In fact, they had... At the Trappist Monastery, they had little huts that were about the size of a phone booth with a chair in there. And you could just go sit in there and open up the window and look out at the wilderness. Almost looked like a hunting blind. But we were sitting in there and just, I just sat by myself in that place and listened to the voice of God. And I swear that God was speaking so loudly to me because I wasn't saying a word. God was speaking so loud to me that I needed Him to stop. There were times when I would put my hands over my ears and say, God, how can you have put up with me not listening for so long? Because the voice of God seemed so loud. And, and I recognize you know, it's part of my nature. I'm a, I'm a solitary person. I'm a solitary man. I can sit in the woods by myself for hours on end and be perfectly fine because I'm with my best friend Jesus and my favorite person, me. <laughs> me and Jesus have that in common. We're both nuts about me. And so I can sit in there and just listen to the voice of God. And the loudness in the quiet is something that Jesus knew. He knew he only had 12 disciples, but he needed to get away from Peter and Andrew snoring and, and all the rest of them. He needed to get away and be in a solitary place where he could talk to his father. He needed to get away from the, the press of ministry. He needed to get away from the, 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 the people who were pressing in, the pressure that was coming on him. He needed to get away. Somebody in here today needs to get 
away and to turn it all off and spend time with God. And it doesn't need to be a whole day even. And you don't have to find your way to a Trappist monastery in the Ozarks. You just need to find a place where you can turn it all off, all the useless noise, and listen to the voice of the Father. Between the Word and the Spirit, your life will be full again. It only takes a little bit of time in the presence of God. Jesus knew that. And He escaped off to the side of some hill somewhere. And when the disciples woke up, they were panicked. The Master's gone. Some disciple had to be sleeping in. You know, there's always one disciple who likes to sleep in, you know. And they ran over to him and they said, hey, the, the master's gone. The ma-. They shook him and he, he freaked out. What do you mean the master's gone? He was right there. He went to bed with us last night. Where, what do you mean that he's, he's not, not here? They said, we're looking everywhere. You ever lose your cell phone? Do you ever lose your cell phone? Your cell phone's important to you. Do you ever just wish that you had a video of what happens in your house when you lose your cell phone? Because you, your cell phone, you have it right with you everywhere you go, right? You could be in the middle of a prayer today, and if your cell phone rings, you're going to go, yes, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. It's not important, Lord. And you you are going to be paying attention to your cell phone. And when you lose your cell phone, you go berserk. Recently, somebody couldn't find their phone down at the farm. I don't remember who it was. I think it was Leah, but I'm not sure. <laughs> we were getting ready to leave, and suddenly, where's my phone? Did I pack it up? Is it in the car? Did one of the kids grab it? Where is it? And this is what happens at our house when someone loses their phone. Everyone stops what they're doing. Somebody starts calling the phone. Everyone is lifting up the cushions on the couch. We're all looking and we're scrambling around looking to find this most important thing to, that we need to have with us at all times. And we're scrambling and looking and people are running back and forth and looking. Maybe I dropped it outside. Everyone's looking. That's how the disciples were. The Master's gone. We, I don't know. Sometimes... When I read that passage, it glosses over that part so much that I don't see that. I, I kind of see these guys just hanging out by the fire. Ah, Jesus, he'll come back. That's not what they say. They start, okay, you, guys, you two guys go over there. You two guys go over there. You guys go check down by the lake. You guys go over there. You look there. You look there. Two by two, they send out, they go out, they start looking for, looking for Jesus everywhere. They want to know where he's at. Why in the world would he abandon us? Why would Jesus get away from us? Why would he move away from us? And when they find Jesus, they say, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. And that's our theme this year. Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Every human being is looking for you, Jesus. We don't know. We don't understand how desperate people are. We can only refer to our own level of desperation. Everyone is looking for you. Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless 
until they find the rest in thee. Pascal said this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man and only God can fill it. So all of humanity walks around like a complete puzzle with one important piece missing in their heart. They're looking for Jesus. We don't even understand it. Because they're looking so desperately, we sometimes get caught up in that part of this passage. But everyone is looking for Jesus. But you and I don't believe that. Because if you and I believed that, we would live our lives quite differently. We don't believe everyone is looking for Jesus. In fact, if we were to assess our lifestyle, we would say that some people are looking for Jesus, but other people are not looking for Jesus. Like the devout atheist, the person who says there is no God, we would say that he is not looking for Jesus. But I tell you, he is. He has a missing piece in his soul that cannot be complete. Everyone was looking for Jesus. Everyone is looking for Jesus. Some were looking for truth. We don't recall the harshness of the world before Jesus came in. We don't really understand it. Sometimes we can see bits and pieces from other countries that haven't experienced the full benefit of the presence of God in their society. And we see little glimmers of what it was like back then. But life was violent. And and the laws were not common. They were were not fair. there There was chaos in society. If you, if you look at what, what happened when Jesus came, then you understand it. Because Jesus came into the world uh, and he was born, there have been incredible blessings that have come our way. The Christian church created the phenomena of the hospital. It's hard to imagine not having a place to go when you're sick. I mean, when you're really sick, when you're deathly ill. It's hard to imagine that. But because Jesus came in and his disciples were filled with compassion and love, they established this thing called the hospital. In in fact, disciples of Jesus have built hospitals all around the world. And so you you, you see that there's this change in culture all around us because of the compassion that Jesus put in the hearts of his people. Education went from just the elite at the time now to the masses. And because Jesus came, the masses can be, can be educated. Every one of us in here has opportunity to, to continue our education. We could all have our doctorate degree if we wanted a doctorate degree. Because it's that available. Mercy and compassion become things that we really understand and we begin to experience and live out and we, ex- we expend that so to the point that today is there's... There was a, a, a bombing of a, a guy who was trying to do evil to American citizens. And there are people protesting in the streets today because they, they, felt, they feel that that, that uh, rocket launch was not based out of compassion. It's part and parcel of our culture, passion, compassion, and, and mercy. 
There is art and literature that is displays to the glory of God. I think it was Bach who wrote at the bottom of his, uh, his each manuscript, Sola Gloria Deo, for the glory of God alone. Music, art, literature, prisons. Prisons are seen now as redemptive opportunities, people, places where people can come out better than they went in. That's not how prisons were. Prisons were where you waited until they killed you in those days. Marriage. Marriages are seen as monogamous. In the Roman times, the, the Roman generals would have homosexual affairs, pederasty, with young men who traveled along with the, the soldiers, and, and it was... Not, it was accepted in society. Christianity changed that. Science. Suddenly we recognize that we can view the world around us as, as God's creation that deserves and needs to be explored because the heavens are still declaring the wonders of God to us. There's the Protestant work ethic where we get up and we go to work and we accomplish these things. There is enterprise, self-reliance, self-denial, work ethic is, is all a part of what it means to have free market capitalism. And it's certainly ingrained in the free market capitalism of Adam Smith. All this adds up to what we experience on the mission field, redemptive lift. Every culture, every single culture, no matter how barbaric when missionaries walk in, Experience redemptive lift. It's a term that's used to, to explain the blessings of Christianity on the culture where suddenly it's not okay just to kill your neighbor. It's, it's amazing that all this comes from Jesus. We needed to know about Jesus. I remember before I came to Jesus, I didn't understand that I would reap what I sow. If you believe that you reap what you sow, and clearly other people do, they call it karma. If you believe that you reap what you sow, and you don't tell somebody that they're going to reap what they sow, you are damning them to living underneath that oppressive mechanism of society that they will be ignorant of. And they will just continue to keep wounding themselves and shorting themselves. When I became a Christian, I suddenly realized that there was no way for me to outgive God. I could bless other people, help other people, love on other people. And I found out that people loved on me and blessed me and gave to me so that I had more, so that I could give to them and bless other people and serve them and they could serve me and bless me. And this whole thing began with one single truth that was spoken into my life as a Christian. I didn't understand that the teachings of Jesus were going to enlighten me so much. I realized that my life had to be reprioritized. I no longer chased money. I come from a family that chases money. Some of them have actually caught it. But 
but I, I realized there's more to life. My life had to be prioritized, so I didn't chase money. I chased Jesus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Right? And what? All these things shall be added unto you. That happened as I was pursuing Jesus, not as I was pursuing dollars and cents. I didn't know that life was precious back then. But Jesus taught me that women deserve to be treated a specific way. They need to be respected. They need to be honored. I needed to honor my wife. The truth of God. I was hungry for the truth of God. I remember a Bible college professor saying to me, you are the father that your child will think of when they pray to the Heavenly Father and call Him Father. I remember our firstborn in the crib and I stood over her, wanting her to open her eyes and, let, and to let her know that I was always going to be there even though there's no possible way I could always be there. I was trying to reflect the Heavenly Father to my children. God put that in my heart to pursue that. I didn't understand when I first came to the Lord that God had an order on earth. That there was that animals needed to be respected. That baby seals should not be clubbed. And neither should baby humans. The truth of Christ saved me from parenting my children without limits. God set me free saying, you don't need to be their friend. That will come later. I didn't fall for the fallacy to say, well, we'll just let them choose their own God. Children who eat Tide Pods should not be allowed to choose the way that they walk. They don't have the sense to eat the green beans on their plate. What makes you think they will choose the good God who's offering themselves? If that sounds like I'm in your business, I am. That's my, God, that's my job under God. I was spared by the truth of Christ from teaching bitterness to my children and hate. I learned to forgive. I learned to surrender things that were above my pay grade. I don't have anxiety. I'm bragging about that. I should have anxiety. I get anxiety when I look at my life and see the way things are and how things are. I should have anxiety, but I have this understanding that God is trustworthy. And He knows what He's doing even when I don't know what He's doing. And I needed to know that truth. I needed that truth to come in. That's one of the reasons why I was looking for Jesus, even though I didn't even know I was looking for Jesus when I was smoking dope out in a field underneath some tree and carved a cross. Why? Because I was raised a Lutheran, I guess, and it was Sunday morning, into that tree, and I was, I'm blowing that joint, which even though it's legal in Illinois, I don't encourage 
And as I was smoking, I, there was a something on the inside that was recognizing there's a missing part on the inside of me, crying out, seeking to be aware of this God who is in heaven, this simple peace, and his truths would change my life. And I didn't have to be theologically correct when I prayed for him to come into my life. I just said, if you're real, come on in. It was the simplest prayer. And I began to base my life on those truths. Some people are looking to Jesus. Looking for Jesus because they're looking for truth. Some people are looking for Jesus because they're looking for a miracle. Everyone is looking for you, the disciples said. Why? Because there was a press of people with sick and and demon-possessed people out there that needed deliverance, and they wanted that to, 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 to take place, and they knew that these people had a hunger. The greatest miracle is still salvation. When God comes in and He does a miracle in a life, the miracle of salvation in a life, it is not a small thing. It is greater than, than the instant replication of an arm where it was missing. Because life is changed. The human soul is saved and, and that person's whole being changes for all eternity. God still makes bad men good. God still makes lousy fathers into mentors. God still makes bad wives into women of God. God still makes rebellious children into leaders in the church. God still makes insecure people, suddenly transforms them, and so they are vocal opponents of all things that are anti-God. Every satanic thing, every sinful thing, every disease. God cleans people up. He puts His Spirit of holiness on the inside of them. I love the fact that in Romans, Paul calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of holiness. Just love that. Because He comes in with the broom and a mop. His purpose in your life is not to leave you alone. If you are worshiping a God who leaves you alone, you are worshiping an idol. God is constantly cleaning things on the inside of your life, saying, this must go. It may be up to you to throw it away. But He's constantly cleaning you up on the inside. He heals. And that healing is paid for on the cross too. He does miraculous things in answer to prayer. How many doors that were slammed shut suddenly were opened because of what God has done. People come to God hungry for miracles because they need to know Him. How many provisions of God? I bet you every hand would be raised if I asked this morning how many people have experienced the, the provision of God in a miraculous way Completely out of the box. Most of us would raise our hands in this place because we have seen God come through when He shouldn't have been coming through. We call Him in jest. Jehovah Nicotine. He will make you sweat till the last segundo, but He will be there for you. You wonder why He does that. That's to build your faith. Takes you all the way through the worry and the anxiety and the freaking out to prayer and brings you to the place where you finally say, surrender, and you say, okay, God, you're going to do whatever you're going to do. And he says, now that you're out of the way, now that your agenda is out of the way, let me fix it for you. 
and the check comes in the mail or the answer to prayer comes to you. Some people are hungry for Him because they're looking for miracles of wisdom, trying to face a hard decision. They need a God's eye view of the problem. Some people are looking for Jesus because they have internal they need internal strength to stand up under the pressure that is weighing down on them. I think of the martyrs who are being lit on fire and being envisioning heaven and seeing it crying out. I hear the angels singing as they're being lit on fire. And I'm not talking about eons ago. I'm talking about those that are being martyred, many of them in the Muslim world even as we speak today. God is still bringing grace to those and we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters of a different color than us who are being persecuted for their faith. Some needed divine protection in the work of the Lord. Like our sister. Men and women had to learn the art of prayer. They needed to learn that God can be asked simply without great falderall. That God can be asked simply and He will come through because He's not impressed with your verbiage. Don't think you'll be heard for your much speaking. That when you ask, that God will dispatch angels. Our eyes need to be opened like Elijah's servant. And recognize that there's a spiritual realm around us that when we pray a simple prayer, that angels are being dispatched on behalf of us. Why? Because some people need to see the miracles. Some people didn't even know they were looking for Jesus. Maybe that's where you were. Not even aware enough to know what you need. We sing, used to sing the song, Jesus is the answer. Some of us didn't even know what the question was. Many of us stumbled into faith. Many of us had motives that were less pure. There are people here who came to church today. Uh, not today. People here today that came to church originally because they wanted to date that hot chick in the church. There were people who came here because they were curious about miracles that they'd heard about. There were people who came here because they turned their television on one night and some evangelist said, now that you've prayed this prayer with me, go find a Bible-believing church. There are people who didn't even know they were looking for Jesus when they stumbled on Jesus. And they were, they were not even knowing what they needed in their heart. They didn't even understand the theological ramifications of what happens when you say, Jesus, come into my life. And Jesus says, oh, that's a crack in the door. I'll bust through the door and come into your life. And I'll take things over in your life. I'll do wonderful things in your life. Some are here because they're looking for Jesus because they couldn't find Him in the dead traditions of their family's religion. Some wandered about with a hole in their soul not knowing that Jesus was the answer to their life until they stumbled into a Christian. Hundreds of spiritual people suddenly found out that not all spirits are from God. And that they needed a Holy Spirit, not just a spirit. It makes a difference. Everyone is looking for Jesus. Everyone. 
Everyone. Say that with me, will you? Everyone. Christianity is not an exclusive club. It is open to all who call upon the Lord. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given that men must be saved. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But everyone needs salvation. Every coworker that you work with is looking for Jesus. Every neighbor is looking for Jesus. They may not say that. They may not know enough to say that. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 29 that you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is the whole point. Truth demands that we view people as seekers. This year, I'm hoping to turn our vision so that we can see every single person around us as a seeker. You say, well, that seems very simple. Mm, That's not simple. This morning before the service, we talked about how easy it is for us to judge someone and say that person isn't seeking God. But the reality of it is there's a hole in their soul of something crying out on the inside of every one of your friends, every coworker, every neighbor, every family member, even the ones that you gave up on. Even the ones who did dirt to you and you don't speak to anymore. Every one of them is looking for Jesus. This is our week of prayer. The website will bring devotions to you today, to, to you starting tomorrow. Berwin AG slash news. I encourage you to pray with us each day. Turn off all the stuff, even if it's just for 20 minutes, and begin to seek the Lord. Cry out. Cry out to God. On Thursday, when you fast, shut everything down including your belly. Start seeking out the things of God. It'll probably begin with a time of you giving thanks for all the things that God has given you. I'm thankful for my home. I'm thankful for this roof over my head. I'm thankful for this family. Most of the time, Lord, I'm thankful for this family. Ask God for His will to be done in your life and in your family's lives. Ask Him for supply to meet every one of your needs. Ask Him for for forgiveness and for the strength to forgive others. Ask Him for clarity and direction that He'll guide and order the steps that you are walking in. And after you have prayed for you, (laughs) somehow we make it about us. This week of prayer. Yes, it's about us getting right, but There's more to it than that. After you have prayed for you, pray for them. The everyone's out there. The co-workers. The friends. The lost. The backslidden. The family members. The hopeless. The hurting. The bitter. The mean. The bosses. The workers for those that are drifting away from their faith, for the ones that we have given up on, for the neighbor who you don't speak to, for the neighbor whose dog barks all night long, for the ones that use you, 
and the ones that hurt you. Pray for them. Because everybody is looking for Jesus. Everyone is looking for Jesus. Thanks for listening. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. We take pride in creating free content that will hopefully enrich your life and lead you closer to the heart of the Father. If you are blessed by what you heard today, help us continue to make content just like this by sharing, subscribing, and if you feel led, by contributing financially on our website, berwinag.org. As always, if there's anything that we can do to help you in your walk with the Lord, contact us on our website, berwinag.org, or on social media at berwinag. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.